Hi, I'm Paul, and welcome to the ComicRush.com presents From Panels to Pictures. We talk comic and geek culture, movies and TV, bringing you a guide to the worlds of the MCU, the DCU, and beyond. Subscribe to our Patreon via the Support Us button on the ComicRush.com for early access and bonus content, and subscribe, download, share, and review all our shows from Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Want more art, craft, and culture of comics? Head over to thecomiccrush.com, follow us on Twitter at thecomiccrush, and like our comiccrush.com page on Facebook for updates and more great content. And don't forget, you can email me, Paul, at thecomiccrush, with any thoughts and suggestions you have about any of our content. On this episode, I talk to writer, actor, and director Keith Isles about the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. We talk about our earliest Star Wars memories and recount our experience of this groundbreaking sequel, as well as sharing stories about its creation. Follow me at Mamre Comic on Twitter and check out Keith's other shows, Let's See What's Out There and Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also check out his YouTube channel, British Isles. That's E-Y-L-E-S. Now, on with the show. So Keith, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for coming on again. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff, so I really appreciate you inviting me back. <laughs> No, pleasure to have you back, as always, and we're going to do a bit of an unusual one this week because we are talking about the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, which actually lands in the UK earlier than it does in the US, because one of the things I found out in my, my sort of research for this was that um, way back in 1980, Empire was actually released here before it was released in the US, which I was I was really surprised to find out. I didn't know that either. So uh, there you go. I, I Just when I thought I couldn't learn anything new about The Empire Strikes Back, you've already surprised me, Paul. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I'm always, uh, always happy to uh, attempt to surprise you. With The Empire Strikes Back, I think for both of us, this is a favourite Star Wars movie. Yeah. If not a, a favourite film, or certainly up up there amongst our favourite films. And, and I think for a lot of our sort of generation that are into this kind of movie, it, it's probably a massive kind of favourite. So what I want to do first is just talk about how you came to Star Wars as a as a kind of cultural thing, how you first discovered Star Wars. Okay, well, um, funny enough, as we speak now, I am actually, I have my stay on target mug of coffee on my Empire Strikes Back coaster as we speak. So very, very apt. But yeah, I mean, oh dear, as much as I hate to uh, admit that I'm getting old, I did come about Star Wars right from the very beginning. Um, I was quite a young child when the first Star Wars came out and I saw it. I couldn't. I couldn't be specific on when, because I believe that, uh, I know you've just mentioned about release dates, but I believe we may have got the first Star Wars film slightly later here in the UK. Um, regardless of the fact, when I first saw it, it was already episode four, A New Hope, which I believe was a re-release, because I think originally... It was just Star Wars, and that's what it was known to the world as for, for, for a while. And it wasn't until, um, you know, Empire Strikes Back that it kind of got rebranded as Episode 4, A New Hope. So I, I did see that when I was very young, but my actual memory of both the first film and Empire Strikes Back was... Um, I did see it at some point as a double bill, and this was my first ever experience of a uh, of a double bill of movies. So, sometimes circa 1980, I guess I did see Star Wars: A New Hope and Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back back to back, uh, which was amazing. <laughs> now, it's interesting that you mentioned the the kind of mug. And things there because the way I first came to Star Wars was via the toys, and you know I, I think my family started maybe getting me one or two of the toys. I mean we weren't particularly kind of well off back then, and you know so it was rare that you got kind of a whole bunch of toys. Although I think on one or two occasions I was sort of thoroughly spoiled and I got you know, a bunch of Star Wars toys. So I kind of came at it via the merchandising, which I'm sure will please old George, but then didn't see the original movie 
for a while until one night one of my sister's boyfriends came over to the house and and back then I got sent to bed really early you know I, I being a very young kid he was just off to bed with you as soon as possible and I got kind of woken up and it was sort of sort of seven o'clock in the evening which shows you how what sort of time I, I got sent to bed and he said all right I'm gonna take you to see Star Wars and what I didn't know then was that I wasn't just going to see Star Wars, but The Empire Strikes Back too. And I'm very curious to know, Keith, was the double bill that you went to, do you remember if it was at the Odeon Marble Arch? Uh, no, it definitely wouldn't have been there because I didn't live in, in uh, London at that point. I was, um, when I was a kid, I grew up in, on the south coast in uh, Bournemouth and pool area yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't have been at that particular double bill uh it would have been somewhere local to Bournemouth um so no it wouldn't have been it would have been at a um at a cinema down there but uh it's funny you mentioned actually the 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 merchandising because of course when I was at school many of the kids had the Star Wars figures before I actually saw the film and there was also a Marvel comic book adaption of the film as well, um, which was was doing the circuit, if you like, um, in the playground and whatever at school. So to answer your question a bit more specifically, I was probably aware of Star Wars from that before I actually saw the film, if that or, or either of the films, if that makes sense. <laughs> and I did subsequently, once I'd seen the films, start getting the... Uh, the figures as well and and like you unfortunately my parents weren't particularly well off but um bless them they did try and their very best to uh to get me some of the toys um i certainly had some of the main figures the main characters um the bit where they really sort of drew the line was more around the uh the vehicles and whatever because they did tend to be quite expensive but they did get me i remember i had a Death Star playset. It was a cardboard playset, but it was basically fashioned on the Death Star. And I remember as a child having absolute hours of fun, amusing myself, making, I guess, little movies in my head at a very early age with my figures and, and that Death Star playset. So thank you. You've sparked a memory in me, which uh, <laughs> which I really appreciate. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the toys was just a wonderful gateway for me into kind of my own imagination and and things like that as well. Funny enough, you mentioned that Star Wars uh, adaptation, the Marvel Comics adaptation. Did you know that that was done without Marvel ever seeing the final film? Yeah, that's correct. I believe it was done from some early scripts. And um, it is actually funny because if you do... You know, I've, I've, as an adult, since read that um, Marvel Comics adaptation. And it is it is funny because there are quite a lot of differences. You know, some of the deleted scenes from Star Wars with, you know, Luke and Biggs on Tatooine uh, made it into the Marvel comic adaption. Um, you know, some of the dialogue is slightly different. And, uh, yeah, you can certainly see, um, you know, they, they, they made a few choices about some of the character design based purely on uh, I guess publicity stills or photographs from the set or whatever which um, you know ended up looking quite different in the in the finished film so I think yeah I mean obviously I know your main podcast is about comics and I think it's quite um, quite fascinating how uh, Marvel and and the the artists there that were doing a lot of this licensing of um, of, of different film franchises uh, yeah you can you can certainly see that the the roots of that um, were you know done from earlier versions of the script most definitely yeah <laughs> yeah, and it's fascinating to see the kind of license they took with that stuff. Um, but jumping forward to the films, we, you know, we, we both went to see these kind of double bill screenings. For me, it was the, the first time I'd seen either of the movies and just watching that opening shot. And as I understand, the person who, who was with me said that I sat there the entire time with my mouth open because I'd never seen anything like it. And also, actually, I wonder when this, this screening would have taken place because the screening I went to had a Revenge of the Jedi trailer. 
like a very early kind of you know no scenes from the film but a kind of teaser trailer for the movie oh wow okay yeah in that case it must have been a year or six months prior to release of um return of the jedi in that case yeah i mean i don't know quite quite when but um i'd I'd have to kind of dig through and look it up and i i saw it at the um odium marble arch as i mentioned which at the time was just one huge screen. It's since been turned into a bunch of smaller screens, but their their sort of big screen really was a big screen. It was it was gigantic. So it was great to see it there. And you know, I just had this wonderful kind of epiphany watching this movie. It's just like, oh wow, this is what movies are and you know, and I completely fell hook, line, and sinker for it. So I, I, I was completely taken in by the movie, as, I, as I'm sure you were. Yeah, absolutely. I had a very similar experience. Um, as I said, my mum took me to see the first movie uh, when I was very young. Um, it must have been at the, I think it was probably at the ABC Cinema in Bournemouth, which at the time, you know, could project 70 millimeter and whatever. And uh, obviously I had been at the time into, you know, I'd grown up with, you know, watching TV shows. And around that time, I was probably into things like, you know, the Six Million Dollar Man and Blake Seven and reruns of the original Star Trek and, and, you know, those sort of things. And then Star Wars was literally the first film that I ever saw on the big screen and my god it was a big screen and it had you know suddenly um you you know seeing something in that you know 235 to 1 aspect ratio in Dolby stereo and like you said the Star Destroyer coming over after the crawl and everything and uh, likewise I was um, my mum often laughs about it she said that I was there staring up with my neck craned up at the screen my eyes wide and my mouth open <laughs> and, and apparently she said it was the one time that I kind of as a child that I kind of sat still and quiet for two hours in a row <laughs> I imagine it, it got a lot of uh, a lot of kids to shut up and just just watch the screen. But like I guess at the time we weren't we didn't really know what we were seeing was kind of cinematic history in the making. And it's important to to kind of talk about how that film really it, it didn't necessarily set the template for sequels, but it certainly I think solidified the the tone of sequels, especially for big budget entertainment. Because for me, when I look back at film history, the the sequel that really did set the tone was Godfather 2, in that it's a lot darker and more complex than the first film, which was already quite dark and complex. And, uh, of course, you had that completely different structure to... um, Godfather 2 than you had with Godfather 1 and in a way you have a completely different structure with The Empire Strikes Back from the first film because the even more than the first film Empire really is just one big chase oh yeah for sure what <laughs> uh, one epic chase and uh yeah I mean The Empire Strikes Back is is uh such an enjoyable movie from start to finish um it was a shame, actually, recently uh, for the sort of May the 4th day this year, um, there was that article that was going round everywhere by uh, Nicholas Barber of the BBC, which was quite a controversial article where he was talking about how, uh, you know, The Empire Strikes Back was hugely overrated um, and it kind of ruined a new hope uh, by its, you know, gloomier repetition and um, sort of undid all the good work that Star Wars did. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, I was, you know, I I thought to myself, I wonder how many people sort of agree with with that interpretation. And it was almost like it was kind of defending the whole, you know, Ryan Johnson, Last Jedi backlash, as it were, because uh, obviously Ryan Johnson is quoted as well as saying that, people audiences didn't like Empire Strikes Back apparently when it first came out and um, you know I guess they're talking about 
older audiences because of course you know we we were only you know kids at the time and probably didn't think that deeply about that sort of thing um you you know at that point in our life and just thought it was a a really cool sci-fi fantasy adventure movie well it's interesting because uh, i know with the big reveal which you know spoiler if you've not seen it um uh, uh the big reveal kids at the time simply just didn't believe it they just thought it was a lie. And I, I can't remember how I felt about it. Do you remember how how you kind of took that on board when you watched it? Yeah, I was trying to remember this, actually. I was trying to remember um, whether or not it had been spoilt for me before I saw it. Because um, obviously lots of kids, uh, lots of friends in the playground and and you know in the same street and whatever, many of them had seen it before I had. And I don't think, I don't think it was ruined. Um, or I like to think, uh, uh, hopefully, my uh, what my memories made uh, of of the recollection is is as it was. And I think uh, that I it was revealed in the film for me. And I think yes, um, I think I just made the assumption that Darth Vader was lying because he was Darth Vader and he was the evil one and the dark side of the force and he was trying to manipulate Luke. And obviously, you know, that got, in the next film, that got answered for sure. But I think uh, from my point of view, uh, at the time, you know, I didn't necessarily uh, believe it, you know. Yeah, I genuinely can't remember how I felt about it. Like, I just, I, I can't reach that far back to, to recall the, the sort of emotional state I was in at the time. But overall, like, the, the film was, was probably, you know, super exciting and really kind of, you, you could feel that more, that different tone to it, even though I'm sure I didn't really get it at the time. But you were certainly aware that you were watching something new and something different. And, and it's interesting how if you look at uh, sequels from then on, and I'm thinking about things like Indiana Jones, um, Back to the Future, which of course all have a Lucas Spielberg connection, um, and, 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 and you know a variety of other, other kind of movies, they all had a fairly light-hearted first film a much darker more complex second film followed by a kind of victory lap back into the kind of light-hearted um romp that the first film was but still taking on board some of the stuff from the second so if you think about you know back to future one two and three and uh raiders of the lost ark temple of doom uh last crusade they all kind of follow that template. And I'm sure there are others if we, we stop and think about um, uh, the sort of genre movies we grew up with. i tell you what, when you put it like that, it makes me think, wow, we grew up in such a good era, didn't we? <laughs> because uh, all, of, all, of those, all of those movie franchises that you've mentioned there are among my favourites of all time. So, um, you know, we had all that stuff going on and we had, you know, the, the action movie boom and, uh, you know, the, the, the horror slasher boom. And it was, it was all happening in that, uh, in that period. And, um, yeah, it's quite fun. And the, the home computer boom, everything anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I agree. I mean, you, you know my my thoughts on star wars and and trust me i've i've spent more time in my life than i probably should thinking about star wars but my 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 whole thing when people ask which the favorite film is i find i'm always torn between a new hope and empire strikes back and the reason i say that is a new hope has a beginning middle and end it is a complete movie, you know, that has that three act structure and ends on a, you know, a, a happy, upbeat note. Uh, it has a proper conclusion, even though obviously Darth Vader gets away and, you, you know, obviously sets that nugget for a sequel. But, um, you, you know, obviously The Empire Strikes Back does rely on you knowing these characters having seen that first film and of course you know ends on a on a uh you know 
radio drama film serial type uh you know cliffhanger which is obviously the sort of stuff that George Lucas was inspired by you know ready to be concluded in in like you said that victory lap that last film that was to come so um whereas I think in many respects you know Empire Strikes Back is probably more accomplished in some ways um Let's be honest, it you know, if it wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for that first film. And and, you know, my love for a new hope is is huge as well. So you you, you know, in that big debate about which is actually the best film, I find that I'm always torn between those two out of the canon of of Star Wars movies. Now, that's interesting because I'm usually torn between Empire and Jedi. I actually much prefer Jedi to a new hope. Not that there's anything wrong with them, you know, let's face it, I kind of love them all, really, uh, to one degree or another. And it's, it's always kind of, I, I love the kind of escalation and just the excitement of the space battles in, in Return of the Jedi. With Empire, though, I think that the fascinating thing to watch is, when you really sit and think about it and the age we saw it at, how interesting it is to have a film that is a downer for you know over two hours that just hammers hammers the good guys basically and was fascinating as a young person to kind of of watch that happen because I, I just you know you weren't expecting it yeah no I agree entirely and uh th- you know this this might be where my um my kind of uh preference towards darker material has come from because <laughs> uh, you're, you're absolutely right we were at very impressionable ages when we saw this and um yeah you know I mean like uh I thought Han Solo was was the coolest guy in the galaxy literally and um you know couldn't believe that at the end of the film you know he was he was frozen in carbonite and taken away you know, by the bounty hunter to 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 face Jabba the Hutt and whatever, and it was like, what? You know, surely they're going to get Han back before the end of this, and and the fact that they didn't, and it was like, oh wow, you know, and and Luke gets his his hand cut off, and you you know, just all of this stuff, and it's like, yeah, wow, okay, that kind of ends with everything in a mess, which was like, wow, definitely unexpected, and. Uh, you know, this is obviously what is so great about it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And and also, it, it just feels like a more accomplished bit of filmmaking as well, even looking at it. I mean, photographically, it looks a lot richer and a lot prettier than, than Star Wars did and a lot more interesting. The lighting is, is fantastic, especially once you get to Cloud City and you have the sort of carbon freezing chamber it kind of starts to look like hell which i think they were kind of going for and you know you have luke battling vader in silhouette which was quite a bold choice for that time i mean uh, i can't imagine how it would have been had the film been funded by a studio and george lucas would have had to go to them and go well we're gonna have this but you're not actually really going to see the characters it's just going to be this silhouette and the lightsabers and things I suspect they would have had him restage it and relight it. So it's fascinating to see some of the choices that they use. And and of course, technologically, it, it was a step up from the things we'd been watching because I'm sure, as I did, you were watching things like the Harryhausen movies and to see that kind of animation um, be put to such devastating use in the attack on Hoth, the experience of that, you know was incredible yeah i'm glad you mentioned that we clearly grew up even though we didn't meet until we were adults we we clearly grew up uh, very much on the same page as children i think because yes i absolutely love the um the harryhausen movies and sort of uh you know grew up on watching those on saturday afternoon television and whatever when they were when they were uh, replayed but um yeah phil tippett's work in the in the stop motion uh, arena on on empire is is quite amazing um as are all the you know the map paintings and and all of that um type of photography uh, obviously you know you had improved costumes you had the full size millennium falcon you had you know the, we saw the super star destroyers in this one um 
you know, of course, we get new characters like Lando and Yoda um, and Boba Fett. You know, that, that, that there's there's so many cool things um, that, that was added here. And uh, it was quite funny, actually, because uh, I looked on knowing that we were going to discuss this. Uh, I looked on YouTube and I managed to find this rare um, uh, Michael Parbat um, making of Empire Strikes Back documentary from 1980, uh, which is about an hour long. And um, it was quite fascinating to to watch it because obviously most most things out there now that look at the making of Empire Strikes Back do it retrospectively, a bit like we're doing with this with this uh, podcast. But to actually um, see, you know, Irvin Kirshner and Gary Kurtz being interviewed on set, uh, as well as some of the cast um, about this film and about the idea of doing a sequel to what had then been the most successful film um, in history and pushing those groundbreaking special effects even further um i found it all kind of really you know i knew a lot of these stories but i found it quite interesting to watch uh through this this um this lens as it were and uh, it was quite funny because um irving kirshner who obviously he was about 57 or 58 when he when he directed this um and he was saying that as far as he was concerned this wasn't sci-fi he wasn't thinking of it as a science fiction film he was thinking of it as a fairy tale and that was very much his approach to this and um you know Gary Kurtz who I think deserves so much credit for those first two Star Wars films um you know the, the, the writer and director is as only as good, the filmmaker is only as good as good as the producer um, that they have behind them. And, uh, you know, Gary Kurtz was kind of on set for the production. And because George had obviously had such a, you know, such a hard time on the on the making, getting that first film made, um, most of his involvement was was over the telephone from the editing suite looking at the rushes and uh speaking to them that way and again you know to 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 see all of that and to see it discussed and uh you know see it being filmed at the time it was happening um you you know that's quite a great documentary to go and look back on so if if anybody you know it, it is on youtube and it's and it's available and uh you know i certainly don't remember seeing that back in the day uh, but it's it, it's it's a very interesting documentary. I believe that documentary was actually done for Dutch television, which is why we might not have have seen it. Although I'm not I'm not sure. Um, so although it, it like it's all in English and things, we like it was it was designed to be kind of overdubbed and uh, given subtitles and things. Um, if I'm thinking of the right documentary. So that that would explain why we never saw it as kids, and I'm certainly aware of it, although I've never actually taken a look at it. Um, in a way, one does feel that there aren't any more secrets to be revealed about Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And actually, that explains a lot if it was made for uh, another marketplace, because what I found uh, bizarre about it was there was no narration and there were absolutely no captions. So when the various people like, you know, I I knew it was Ivan Kirshner and Gary Kurtz, but there was nothing appearing on screen to say that um, when they were being interviewed. And um yeah, I mean, you're right. It was it was just really fascinating to watch the analog process of everything because they they go behind the scenes, not just on set, but also in the visual effects studios as well. And you see Phil Tippett and those guys, you know, working on the the Hoth sequence, uh, for example. And you know, you just realise what an analog process everything was back then and uh just how incredible it was that it that it looked so good and um uh you know it's been so inspiring for a for for a generation of filmmakers um since and uh you, you, you know it was it was just um 
it was just fascinating to watch that one. And uh, I, as I said, the, the thing that got me as a child interested in filmmaking from the start was actually the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I, I videotaped and literally watched until the tape broke. Um, so it was quite good to see something from that era that went behind the scenes on, on Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, Gary Kurtz said some great things. You know, he said that they talked about the... Uh, visual effects and he said you know that means absolutely nothing if the characters aren't developed and if the characterizations and the relationships don't work and it was quite funny actually because they were talking about um, and again it just goes to show you that they you know this hadn't been worked out beforehand they were talking about the fact that um, in this film you know a romance between Han and Leia begins and obviously they they weren't sure if the romance was going to continue between Han and Leia or whether it was going to be between Luke and Leia <laughs> so you, you you know when you hear those conversations it was obvious that there was no plan for you, you, you know siblings at that point and uh you, you know it was just uh, i thought quite quite interesting to see this uh this take on it yeah because i think that's probably the moment that in retrospect once you've watched jedi that confused the audience the most uh the sort of kiss between between luke and leia i mean one thing that i i you know in subsequent watches is just how much more characterization is put in to the sort of main trio and even the sort of B characters and things like they, they really do find the stride and the balance between the humor and the action and the drama, you know, they strike that balance really well with this film. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think they do. I mean, it is, it is a very dark and a, and a very serious film, but likewise, you know, you've got, Chewie, R two, three PO, and Yoda in there that all sort of you know bring bring uh, humorous sort of light moments into it, and uh, you know the 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 banter between Han, Luke, and Leia, uh, and the flirtations and whatever you know work very well also. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I just think that they did some. You know, you know, it's just so enjoyable and it never really... I don't know, it's one of those that never really gets old. <laughs> no, it's probably certainly the, the Star Wars film I've seen the most. Although it is kind of tough to watch just one Star Wars film on its own. It's almost like you, you have to commit to each three-act arc if you're going to watch them. And, and I guess that makes it sometimes a bit tough to kind of just stick it on on a Sunday afternoon because you... <laughs> <laughs> you know you'll you'll kind of want the whole meal not just the snack in a way <laughs> yeah no abs absolutely i mean a a great afternoon would literally be to watch that uh, original trilogy back to back uh, you know it's so it's so satisfying obviously there's there's so much debate out there as to whether you know the prequel trilogy and the new trilogy you know, are, are satisfying in any way. Um, but the way I look at it, regardless of all of that, you've always got that original trilogy. It does work. And there is, even, the, even though it wasn't all written in one go, as myth would have it, but at the same time, because there was the same team overseeing it, you know, there is cohesion between those films. It does makes sense it doesn't go off at sort of bizarre tangents yeah i i honestly think as as, as storytelling as, as fantasy adventure as the hero's journey you know all of that stuff um you, you know i i can't stop but wax lyrical about it and uh of course the other thing with this film Again, we talked about all the the improvements in production and the additional things and, and the improvement in the visual effects and, and new characters like Yoda and all this sort of thing. But also, even with the score, whereas, you know, John Williams' score for the first film is absolutely incredible. But with this, they, uh, they also introduced the Imperial March, which was also known as Darth Vader's theme. And the one thing that I've always thought is kind of a shame, and I will caveat by saying, 
you know, as far as I'm concerned, a New Hope score is absolutely perfect and flawless. So I'm not in any way disparaging that with what I'm about to say. But the thing I think is a shame is currently all of the movies, except for A New Hope, feature uh, the Imperial March Darth Vader's theme in somewhere in the score. I mean, even um, Solo uh, had it as sort of digestic music as a propaganda video for joining the Empire. Um, So it literally features in every film except for A New Hope. And one of the things I always thought for all the crazy changes that they keep making to The New Hope with, you know, visual effects and characters and lines of dialogue and audio, um, you know, effects and all this, for all the changes they've kept making, I'm really surprised that they didn't, that, that Williams or Lucas didn't get Williams to slightly rescore parts of A New Hope to include Vader's theme. And and I've just always been surprised by that. I'm not saying they should, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the score as it stands. But if you look at the, the movie, if you look at the saga as a serial, uh, the whole thing, it's the one film where that doesn't feature. And, um, you, you, you know, it, it just now in retrospect seems seems not odd, odd's the wrong word, but almost like a bit of a shame in some respects. Yeah, I agree there. You, you, you're absolutely right. I, I think it w- would be nice to have that kind of flavour running across the entire thing. As you say, like the scores are incredible in the Star Wars movies. The The amount of musical dexterity they show and still being classical scores which is is you know becoming increasingly rare in, in films now and i'm always actually quite glad when i hear a, a proper instrumental classical score if you like it's just incredible the music is, is wonderful and they're great albums to to just listen to and of course my other favorite from um from empire beyond the um darth Vader's theme I, I don't know if you'll be able to guess what i'm going to say um Yoda's theme? No, um, the asteroid chase. Oh my god! Yes, of course. Amazing. <laughs> yes, I like. I absolutely adore that bit of music. It's it's such a wonderful bit of scoring. And and the thing with John Williams is he is kind of in a way, and I don't mean this as an insult. He is a tad of a Mickey Mouser in those films, so he's not underscoring the action. He's scoring the action. You know, beat for beat, movement for movement. But he does it so incredibly well, and his choices are so spot on that you can't fault that at all. He, you know, he is arguably the best kind of orchestral composer I think maybe who's ever worked in films. He's certainly up there, and 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 absolutely deserves to be. You know, The Empire Strikes Back is, you know, one of his best pieces of work. But then all of them are amazing anyway. So, uh, so that's uh, that. That's a tough one. But you're you're right. It is a um, a style of music which uh, characterizes and very much leads the audience on how to feel. And I think in the cases of this type of film, this this space fantasy opera adventure, I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. And I think it totally works um, for it. So, yeah. And, and of course, the, the, the other thing I think worth mentioning here, because let's be honest, what hasn't already been said of this film out there? So, you know, we're probably not adding much new here. But one of the things that I'm quite pleased about with this film is out of the original trilogy, it is the one that features the least changes you know, when they've done the various special editions and home media releases over the years. I'm quite pleased with that because I don't think uh, this film in its original, you know, version, there was really anything wrong with it and and that it particularly needed changing. The one thing that I did, I guess, favour, and it's more just from a continuity point of view, was when they did the 2004 uh, DVD release of it. Um, That was around the same time that they'd been filming um, Revenge of the Sith. 
So they got uh, Ian McDermott to uh, do the Emperor hologram scene. And obviously they changed a few lines of dialogue as well in there. But uh, that was one of those changes that um, that I actually didn't mind because I thought, you know, from a continuity point of view, it made a lot more sense. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, I didn't particularly care for the changes because with the Wampa, I thought the less is more approach actually worked better than when we ended up seeing the creature more in the uh, in the you know ninety seven special edition version. I don't know. Do you do you have strong thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's kind of almost foolproof. So it, it protected itself just by being a quality film from his own kind of meddling. However, that said, I could have. I, I was always fine with Clive Revel being the emperor, being the face of the emperor. Or was it just the voice? I can never remember what she did. But he 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 was the voice. Yeah, there was. Um, I think it was an actress with makeup on that that provided the uh, the physicality, and then Clive Revel did the voice, I believe. Yeah, and did, did they not add like a chimp's eyes to it? I via kind of blue screen. Yeah, that that's correct. I think they did. Yeah, it was like an early sort of composite type shot which bearing in mind it was a, a hologram anyway, they could kind of get away with even then. But yes, uh, I believe there was a um, uh, an actress. In fact, I, that's kind of bothering me. I want to look that up. Oh, yes, apparently the actress was Marjorie Eaton and uh, she portrays the emperor physically and she is indeed wearing a mask, which I, I think you're right. I think it was like a sort of monkey type mask or a chimpanzee mask or something just over the the eye section and uh yeah clive revel as you correctly said did indeed do the voice and there was nothing wrong with that um the only reason i'm saying i i didn't mind that change was purely from it's just me being nerdy about continuity and it kind of in retrospect made sense you know yeah i completely see that actually um but yeah for me it never really bothered me uh, I also could have done without Tamura Morrison's voice being uh, overdubbed uh, in, in place of whoever voiced Boba Fett. I, I thought that was fine as it was. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I, I agree. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, agree with you more on that. Um, I actually preferred the uh, the original Boba Fett voice, which was done by uh, Jason Wingreen, with obviously Jeremy Bullock. Um, uh, portraying Boba Fett himself and uh, yeah that that was a change that the, I mean most of the changes felt very unnecessary with the exception of the the cleanup and the remastering which is you know obviously always good to do uh, to sort of pres- preserve the uh, quality there but uh, and unfortunately uh, they removed one of the things that drove me crazy I was at film school in 97 when they re-released the original trilogy and um, when they had Luke uh, screaming as he fell, that really annoyed the hell out of me. I'm like, what? They've made it look like he slipped, <laughs> you know, and and I was kind of really annoyed by that. But obviously by the time the uh, the the both the DVD and the Blu-ray editions came, they, they removed that and uh, I'm glad they sort of set that back to how it was. <laughs> Expect him to get a call on the uh, com link in the Millennium Falcon. Have you had an accident at work that wasn't your fault? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, the other, the other, I tell you, the other change I don't like. This is a, a dialogue change that they made in the uh, the current releases, the, the the versions that you got on home video and the version that you'll now get on Disney Plus is uh, when Luke and, and R2 arrive on Dagobah and um, R2 falls into the swamp and he gets spat out by the uh, the slug thing and, and Luke goes to, to find him. In the original um, version of Empire Strikes Back, the line was, uh, you're lucky you don't taste so good, which I always thought was perfect. But for some reason, in the new the newer versions, the line is, you're lucky to have got out of there, which I think is 
rubbish. <laughs> so I don't know why they changed that. I have no idea. That's one of those those changes that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. But there you go. I'm sure George has uh, has got a myriad of reasons as to why that that was changed. Um, I actually think it's high time they went back through all the deleted material across the movies and restored some of that and put that back in. There's the the special editions I'd like to see. And I think that some of the changes they made when you go back to kind of A New Hope did improve things. Like the, the Death Star battle moves along a lot faster, which if you go back and look at the original version of the Death Star battle now, it's quite slow. Like it's quite, not ponderous, but it is. I mean, it's as fast as they could have cut and made it at the time, given what they were trying to do in the ground they were trying to break with the visual effects yeah i i i i know what you mean i i just wish unfortunately i i wish in a world that we live in now with technology where you can i wish you could just choose the version that you want to watch you know i have no problem with changes and updates and all of that sort of thing i mean god they've even they've even gone and done it with the disney plus version you've now got greedo saying mcclunky before he shoots and all this which is like oh please just leave it alone but I, I just wish that you could still if you wanted to legitimately watch the original versions of all of this stuff you know um, without having to go through nefarious means or whatever to find it you know I just I just wish I don't see why we can't have more than one version available you, you know why not with the technology is there where you can literally pick you know if it's home media you you've got branching technology if it's streaming you know you you can have more than one one stream why can't you just pick the version that you want to see but uh hey you know it's not my property to say that so whatever yeah and I, also i think disney are quite famously anti-director's cut because I don't think they ever want to imply that there was ever any any doubt as to uh, which way the film's going to go. It'll go the Disney way, you know. But I, I'm grateful that they're out there putting out the films and, and The Mandalorian now. And, and that you can go and watch the Star Wars movies in one place. Which is a, a kind of godsend on its own, really. Because that would only happen intermittently. And, and we're, we're lucky to live in an age of of kind of films on tap really so we haven't got too much to complain about now now speaking of the versions you'd rather watch do you have a definitive list of the movies in order that you like like as favorites you know top top to bottom favorite down to worst to least favorite oh god that's always really hard um i mean it's always the top of the list for me is always the original trilogy um, four, five, and six. Love those films. Even even if I've got you know nitpicks and issues with them, I always enjoy those. Of the newer Star Wars, this is a controversial thing to say, but I'm going to say it because it's what I think is for me. My favourite new Star Wars film has been Rogue One. I mean, I've actually sat and watched Rogue One and then put New Hope on immediately afterwards and. That, to me, works really well. Um, you know, Rogue One takes nothing away from New Hope. All it does is enhance it even more. And um, I really love that film. And, um, you, you know, that's the, that, that ticks my Star Wars boxes. Um, as far as the rest of them go, they're all enjoyable. You know, I, I actually quite like Revenge of the Sith, which I know a lot of people have massive problems with. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know whether it was the environment that I saw that in. I was lucky enough to go to a um, in Leicester Square at the what what was then the Empire that uh, doesn't exist now. They did a whole Star Wars day where um, they played all of the films and then ended with they I mean they played them out of order obviously so they played the original trilogy on the big screen and then they played the prequel trilogy episode 1 and 2 and then it was the first showing of uh, episode 3 Revenge of the Sith um they had Lucas Rick McCallum 
uh, Ewan McGregor, you know, they were they were all there to introduce the film, which was amazing. And they, you know, they really put on an event and went to town. There was, you know, um, Leicester Square was transformed. It had uh, X-wing fighters hanging, you know, above the garden in Leicester Square, and they had a a troop of like a hundred stormtroopers led by Darth Vader. You, you, you know, whilst the orchestra played the theme in the middle of the park and and it was it was quite a thing so i i have very fond memories of um revenge of the sith because of that particular event and uh i like it even though again controversial for some people but i enjoy it i well if only they'll do something like that again maybe for uh return of the jedi's 40th anniversary i mean for me it would be um empire then jedi then A New Hope, then Rogue One, then Force Awakens, then Solo, then Last Jedi, then Attack of the Clones, then Rise of Skywalker, then Rise of the Sith, and then The Phantom Menace. Um, which I know is slightly a bizarre order, but I like certain things more than others for different reasons. Wow, you've clearly thought of that, thought about that more than I have. Um, the, the only thing I have major objection there on is the fact that you put... Uh, Return of the Jedi above New Hope, but hey, each to their own. <laughs> well, I, I've got to say, it's the one when I look back on it, I, I really enjoy the most out of you know, you know, beyond Empire itself. So, for for various reasons, as as, as we've discussed, well, I, I I think that kind of wraps us up. Thank you for doing this, Keith. Oh no, no problem at all. I'm always. Uh, more than happy to come and talk about Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, and and particularly The Empire Strikes Back. So uh, this this has been a lot of fun. I had no idea where we were going with it, but uh, that's sometimes the best the best plan, isn't it? Is just to have a conversation. So thank you so much for um for for involving me and uh, and and having me back. I really appreciate it. No, no, thanks for coming on. And uh, for anyone who is a uh, patron of thecomicrush.com, um, there is going to be uh, some bonus content following on from this a bit later on, which will be an alternate version of The Empire Strikes Back. We're going to talk about the empire that never was. Um, so hopefully you'll, you'll be able to uh, hear that. Those of you that are patrons, for everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye, folks. Subscribe to our Patreon for early access and additional content via the Support Us button on thecomiccrush.com for just $2 per month. And subscribe, download and review all our shows on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find us on Twitter, at thecomiccrush, like thecomiccrush.com page on Facebook and don't forget to check out the website for more on the art, craft and culture of comics. And you can email me, paul at thecomiccrush.com with any thoughts or suggestions you have on any of our content. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on The Crush.